Welcome to Leo Rising, a living tarot and creative intuition podcast. Here we'll have a conversational exploration of tarot, personal and spiritual growth and identity formation. It's less of a how-to and more of a come along on the journey with me. I'll process stories from my life, both from the past and the current moment that I'm moving through, to give listeners things to think about in their own journey. I'll also be introducing you to wonderful humans who are exploring these topics in their lives, either personally, professionally, or both. So my name is Jenna Fox, and I'm an educator, writer, tarot reader, and queer adoptee witch mama. What I'm not is an expert. So if you're a seeker, if you've got a curious mind and are interested in esoteric topics, then this is the podcast for you. And I'm so excited to have you. Let's get started on the journey, shall we? On November 29th, 2017, my almost six-year-old said to me during bedtime, I'm not afraid of the dark inside me. I'm afraid of the dark outside of me. How do I not be scared of the dark outside of me if there's no light outside me, but only light inside me? I need a teacher. Mommy, you're a teacher. Can you help me? I posted that on my Facebook wall and got, of course, many comments from people because my child the child that I gave birth to on December 20th, 2011 is a deep, deep soul. Like he just has these questions and these comments that make me think about things in a different way. And so on today, as we celebrate in the Northern Hemisphere, as we celebrate winter solstice, which is really about hanging the balance of light and darkness. Solstice um, means like the sun stands still. And this concept of exploring the darkness, embracing the darkness, um, in order to then wait for um, and to celebrate the returning of the light is something that's really been on my mind just because it exists in the, the popular culture, in the common um, you know, Instagram community that I'm a part of. So many people are talking about solstice. So many people are creating rituals to honor the coming of the light. And I think that that is so beautiful. I'm I'm recording this. It's dim in my house and I have candles lit around me. But before the returning of the light, there is the darkness. And this is something that I have been afraid of since I was a little girl. So I really resonated with my child saying that he's not afraid of the dark inside me, but he's afraid of the dark outside of him. On today's episode, I would like to give a trigger warning for people who have um, experienced mental health um, issues, suicidality or homicidality um, thought patterns that they may recognize as being unhealthy or unhelpful. Um, because I'm going to share with you 
some of my own darkness and some of my own wrestling with the darkness in trying desperately to come into the light. And I feel like sharing stories is a powerful way of uh, connecting people and having them know that they're not alone. But this may not be the topic that is for everyone. And so I want to give you the opportunity and the space to take time and to care for yourself um, because I don't want to pile on more darkness into your life, right, as we are looking for the light. So I, in 2011, I gave birth on December 20th, which is the day before solstice. And that means, as I'm recording this, that means that yesterday was my child's birthday. And of course, I've been thinking back to that time where time seemed to stand still. I was still in the hospital a day after giving birth. And I was wrestling with both the feelings of incredible love that I had never felt before. I did love I didn't know was possible. Um, my my child is my first blood re relative that has I've had an unbroken relationship with, and so um, being an adoptee and and giving being the, the process of being pregnant and then giving birth. I was just, I was unprepared for it in terms of just visceral blood and bones and organs and heart um, knowing and loving of this little being. And so I gave birth right before the solstice and then we entered into the holiday season as a new family, right? I was discharged from the hospital and I came home and we hosted a Christmas dinner for my parents. And it was beautiful. It was absolutely beautiful and magical and I couldn't have imagined a better time of year to give birth. And it was also really hard, so hard that I didn't even know. Um, so what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to read something for you that I had published this year. And I love that when I find places to get my, my writing published uh, that, that coincide with all of my other, you know, um, interest areas. And the place that I got this piece published was in um, a journal, an online um, journal called Priestess and Hierophant. So right there we have this, this tarot connection. And in this particular feature, it was all about darkness and light. That was the, that was the theme, the call for um, going into the shadows to, to bring out the story. And so I had this piece published um, and it was actually just nominated for a Pushcart Award, which is um, pieces that are published for, from small presses. So not sure what that the process is, is like to be nominated and any of that. Um, I'm just happy to have my words out there um, for people to you know experience. And so I'm gonna read this for you. It's called Ballerina Brain, and it's really dealing with my own 
experience, not just after giving birth, but sort of my lifelong, lifelong experience of um, this this brain that I've been blessed with and the challenges. And then when I'm done reading it, I'm going to talk with you about um, sort of how I've kind of come into the light more. So ballerina brain, hold your breath in a tunnel, hold it all the way through. No cheating, only breathing out slowly, the warm air wisping across the lips. Count the cars ahead of you. Pray there's no traffic. I-90 is long. Think about something else. Lungs hurt. Hold your breath like underwater. You're a mermaid. 30 seconds, 45 seconds. Hold it all the way through. You have to hold your breath. I am a sophomore in high school standing at the dusty edge of the Grand Canyon when I fall over the edge. My feet slipping on the sandy ground. My body feels angel light. The air whooshes past my face. Five seconds of freedom. Flying, flying, no, falling. Rocks and trees rush past the river at the bottom. A tiny trickle gets closer. It is deep and rushing fast. The water that carved the canyon across millenniums. I don't hit the ground. I am standing next to my mother, my brother. Posing for family photos, our beat up motorhome in view. My mother is wearing a foam visor she bought at a gift shop 20 miles down the road puka shell necklace around my neck. It is hot. Touch the screw. You got to do it. Don't forget to lift your legs up. Legs up. Girlish squeals as we'd all bump and bounce across the railroad tracks. The smell of volleyball knee pads and half-eaten bags of Doritos mixed with the school bus vinyl seats as we head across the valley to games after school. Touch the screw or what? Nobody said what. Something bad? What bad? What would happen? Fresh winter air in my lungs, jogging stroller with infants strapped and bundled inside. Walks are good for exercise, for mental health. I walk slowly to the top of the hill and let go of the stroller. It gains speed. I start to run, run, legs pumping faster and faster, not fast enough, too steep, wheels rolling, stroller wobbling, street is coming faster. I'm running and running. The stroller flies into the air, semi-truck. I scream, my baby, my baby, oh God, my baby. The love of my life hit, hit by a truck in the street. I'm a bad mom, dead baby, dead baby. I saw him die, holding the handle tighter. I reached down and grabbed the jogging strap. I put it around my wrist, gripped tight. I wish there was a second jogging strap, emergency brakes. I pushed the stroller slowly round the corner toward home, fresh air, Seattle winter sunshine. Dressed in black, I sneak out of my bedroom. I am 20 and in college. My dog was hit by a car. I know it was him, our neighbor, the one who threatened to kill them if they were ever on his property again. Yakima County vigilantism. So I sneak out to find the bodies of dead animals he's buried on his property. I bring a knife for tire slashing. I look in his windows. I see his wife, maybe losing her will, make him think twice about taking an innocent animal's life. Rage catches in my throat. I roll over and close my eyes. A dream catcher hanging above my bed I made in Girl Scouts when I was in second grade. Seal sinew and pale blue yarn.
My baby is five weeks old, and there was blood on the corner of the hallway from where I bashed his head into the wall in anger. I didn't mean to. I was so tired, incredibly tired. He wouldn't nurse, kept crying, crying, that damn nipple shield, the struggle. I reach out and hand him to my husband. I can't do this. I need a minute to myself, I said. They would be better off without me. Everyone would be better off without me. I've been to a hundred of my own funerals. I've eaten crackers with grieving relatives. I've heard the nice things they've said about me. I've hugged them while I lay in my casket. 45 minutes later, we're on the phone with the midwives. I said, I think I need meds again. The images won't stop. They're getting worse. I'm afraid. Crisscross applesauce as the water fills the tub. It doesn't matter that I'm 27 and folded into a too small pretzel of limbs against porcelain. I sit and pour the water from a glass Pyrex so worn by use that the measuring lines have faded to mere scratches. I lift the cup filled up with liquid heat and pour it over my head. Tingling burn against my scalp, my hair relaxing into long wet ropes across my back. When bathtubs aren't available, I stand quietly with the stinging spray hitting my back, buttocks, stomach, breasts, leaving my body hot and red, red enough to be gently teased by my husband for looking like a partially boiled lobster. Hot water washes me clean. Being clean isn't a form of self-harm, is it? The four-year-old with his cherubic cheeks and golden curls sitting on my lap, his safety spot. I hold the knife to his throat, brief moment of betrayal and then blood. Next, the baby, my sweet infant. They can't be without a mother. I won't do that to them. Being without a mother is a fate worse than death. I think it's harder with myself. The grief over the blood-soaked bodies in my arms, and I don't like pain. I can see my husband walk through the door and collapse on the floor at my feet, the three of us slumped together in a mix of blood and genetics. I can see him crying. I can feel his pain. I feel nothing but release. I don't remember the Facebook Messenger fight that prompted slitting my children's throats. I ask him to bring tacos home for dinner and text that I'm having a hard day. Friday's home with the two kids is always hard. Studded tires against the pavement make a clicking, clicking, clicking when driving slow with sounds like the ocean when I'm on the freeway heading home for Thanksgiving break. The road and low-hanging fog are the same color gray. My world is gray. The bridge before Sela is high above a dry river canyon. The tires spin on black ice, hurtling toward the barrier divide, the crushing sound of the cement barrier, and then, Thelma and Louise style, I only see sky through my windshield. No pie this year, I think, as the wintry sagebrush enters back into my peripheral vision. Bridge behind me, I think. A girl from high school had a boyfriend jump from that bridge. So tragic. The road rolls on. This one I'm used to. This one doesn't make my mind go into self-loathing. I've seen it enough to know that it's not real, that the image will last for a few seconds, then disappear like the low-lying fog. It isn't real. It isn't anything to dwell on. Keep driving home to Thanksgiving dinner. As a kid, my parents took me to Marie Sendak's Nutcracker performed by the Pacific Northwest Ballet. 
It was beautiful. And every time I came home twirling, I want to be a ballerina, mommy, I would say. The bloodied and bruised toes wrapped tightly in pink satin as they twirled an effortless tool and glittered grace. I saw their performance. I never saw the work it took to get there. My wishes come true, my beautiful ballerina brain. I sip coffee and vacuum the living room. I walk the dog and lead classroom lectures and make sure my children wear clean socks and underwear to school. Like dreaming. The black tunnel behind the pillow tries to swallow you and your limbs jerk about. Gasp a little. You're in bed trying to sleep. You don't hit the bottom. You'll never hit the bottom. It's just a dream. The elusiveness of words, intrusive images, what's even real? So this was a piece that I wrote that really explored what it is like for me to live with obsessive compulsive disorder. I was in graduate school when I learned what intrusive images were as a DSM diagnosis. And before I had just thought that that was the way that my brain worked and they were scary images and they are triggered by stress. And there is pretty much nothing more stressful that I can imagine than the first few weeks after uh, a baby is born, especially when that baby is born in the winter. So I have just been thinking about this as we just passed my seven-year-old's birthday yesterday, and we are now celebrating another solstice, is just how difficult it is to remember that the light is coming back. Starting tomorrow on December 22nd, light begins to return. And over the next few weeks, there will be more light and more light and more light. And yet, when you are in a time of darkness, in the struggle, knowing that there's going to be 60 seconds more of daylight is not a lot to provide hope. I was a few weeks postpartum and I had just gotten, um, well, I was five weeks postpartum when I went back on medication for dealing with my OCD. And one of the other things that I had decided to do to really cope because during the day it wasn't so hard. During the day I was um, pretty mobile and was able to get out of the house. I would go on walks. Um, I would see people. Really the, the part of the, the having a newborn that was so hard for me was how long the nights lasted. And being up in the middle of the night as somebody who really values sleep, it was the uncertainty. It was the not knowing. It was the never knowing when I was going to sleep again and the never knowing when the light was going to come again and I would feel safe inside my body or inside my life. And so during this time, I actually began going back to my massage therapist who was also a Reiki practitioner what was really great about this is in the Reiki sessions where she, I would bring my baby and she would do energy work on me and on him. 
connecting us. And some of the guided visualizations and the um, energy work that we did together was really around accepting and feeling safe in the dark. And I think back to when I was a little girl and how, you know, most kids are afraid of the dark. And I was, I was petrified of the dark, of things that would come and get me. Um, but I was also afraid of my own mind, right, of how I would um, think about things and be afraid of things. And it felt like I didn't have any control. And what was really powerful about the season postpartum as the light was returning was that I began to become comfortable with the darkness. So when my second child was born, I actually really, really enjoyed being up in the middle of the night, nursing him, rocking him back to sleep. The anger that I had experienced at being up in the middle of the night with my oldest, which was really just covering up a lot of my fear of being alone. Um, because, you know, nighttime feels different. And when you're up with a baby in the middle of the night and things seem slow and quiet and you're by yourself, your mind can just come up with all sorts of uh, various stories. And so this is something that I want us to be thinking about as we are in the solstice season, as solstice happens, and as we are heading into a welcoming back into our lives, the light. But I want us to think about all of the people, and maybe you, listener, or somebody that is experiencing this, of when you're in pain or when you're in fear, knowing that something good is going to happen doesn't take away the pain in the moment. Knowing that 60 seconds, like I said, 60 more seconds of light, that tiny little candle did not hold itself to the hours and hours and hours of darkness that I had to quote, you know, look forward to in the evenings. And so rather than, for me, rather than celebrating the return of the light, I want to sit with and transform my experience of the darkness. As I was thinking about how this relates to tarot, one of the things that keeps coming up for me is how this experience was transformed from a tower to just the moon. Both can be dark and scary and transformational cards, but there's a difference in my lived experience from the tower happening sort of externally to me and feeling like I was completely out of control in my body. Everything had been shifted and changed and I now had to reintegrate a new identity as a mother when as a kid, if you had known me, I never played house in the way that kids play house. I always played uh, older sister. And I'm, I have a feeling that that's related to adoption trauma. But it wasn't, um, it wasn't anything that I ever played. I never played mommy. Um, I was always older sister taking care of, um, you know, siblings. And so I never really imagined myself as a mother. And then I got pregnant and became a mother. <laughs> and so 
going from the tower, which is feels chaotic and like kind of things are being ripped, ripped off, or you're bursting out and things are just not fitting into the card of the moon, which is still dark. It's still a deep dive into the world of the intuitive um, realms. It is the things that happen outside of, you know, daylight. It can be mysterious. And that for me is the process that I, that I went through was feeling some of that tower and then moving into moon. And what I would like to think is that through that process, I ended back up in the high priestess. And I know that that's going out of order. Typically, you know, we say, oh, maybe the high priestess goes through these things. But really, I feel like those experiences, the experience of going through and having sort of the um, ultimate OCD experience, um, because it was so petrifying to have intrusive images that did not just include my own body, um, because I knew how to handle those. I knew that those weren't real. To have OCD uh, intrusive images that included harming myself and my children was so beyond terrifying. Um, and moving through moving through that into a place of um, enjoying the darkness um, and not being afraid of it and having much more... Um, solid tools um, to be able to help myself. Um, I haven't had um, OCD images like this um, since my oldest was born. And that is like a really beautiful thing to, uh, for me to have kind of moved through with both the help of Western medication and then also the help of some herbal remedies um, that I've been using now for a while to kind of help manage that is that I don't have these, these awful images. And so that the progression for me would be from that tower, destructive fear, very place of fear into the moon. And then to finally feeling like I'm in this place um, where I'm working with the darkness from that perspective of the high priestess or trying that I can sit in a throne and I can have that knowledge and the ability to go into the deep dive, but to be, feel like I'm integrated into my own personhood in that way. Um, <clears throat> and so I am a mental health counselor and I, I can't be your counselor, but if any of this stuff that I'm talking about resonates with you and you're feeling, um, if you're feeling triggered by it or scared, or you recognize maybe for the first time that you deal with your own intrusive images or intrusive thoughts in your world, um, I'd love to take this conversation into email or into Instagram DMs um, because there are resources. And, and one of the things that was really, that has been really helpful for me in sharing my story and my stories is, is to connect with other people who have felt alone in this experience themselves or who have experienced this and didn't know what was happening to them. I'm pretty honest with people, especially people who are pregnant or have new, um, 
babies about my own experience because postpartum depression is something that is often talked about, but postpartum anxiety and postpartum OCD are not. And I feel like it's hard enough to get help for uh, just depression, let alone some of these, the intensity of the anxious thoughts and the spinning that can happen. So that is my goal for you is to spend some time on solstice today and in the coming days reimagining or reacquainting yourself with the darkness because yes the light is coming but it's going to be a while friends hey friends thanks for listening to leah rising a tarot and creative intuition podcast as of january 2021 this podcast and all of the information is archived So feel free to listen to the episodes. The wisdom of the tarot is everlasting, but much of the information about um, booking a reading from people has changed in the last couple of years. So know that there isn't a tarot um, Instagram account or email address or way to get a hold of me for readings at this point. And of course, I will update that in the future if it changes.